is episode 392 of the Doctor a Day, the Doctor Who podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my finger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode 3 of City of Death. This is the uh, reprise of the part of our ending where the uh, Tancredi enters and recognizes, names the Doctor. And then we shift to uh, Romana and Duggan, who have gone to the Louvre, to try to stop the theft. And they find that the a guard is knocked out on the floor and the Mona Lisa's already been taken. Uh, Duggan doesn't know how he could have taken it because of all there's lasers and other stuff in the way guarding the painting and he trips one of the lasers, trips the, the alarm starts sounding and so they make a break for it and go out, break a window and, uh, and escape that way. Kerensky um, discovers the room off of a lab and then the extra room inside of that and sees the six Mona Lisa's in the cabinets and then he sees that the Count has been knocked out cold and uh, the Count kind of awakens a bit and is talking in his sleep a bit and he says part of a question to the doctor of how do you manage to be in Paris, 1979, and then we switch scenes to Tancredi, who continues his question, and also be in Italy in 1505. And then the doctor says, well, he wants to know what his story is. So Tancredi sits and starts to explain himself. He says he is the last of the Jaggeroth and he is the savior of the Jaggeroth. Um, the doctor seems to remember the name. He says, I seem to remember that you, your planet, you were engaged in a huge war and just destroyed yourselves. Um, and Tancredi says that, oh, a few survived <coughs> and some were able to make Earth fall in 400 million years ago when the Earth was in its primordial state and he was one of those and he in the process was been fractured and splintered and he exists separately but none completely all at once through the ages. The doctor um, then uh, figures out how he thinks that, well, that's why you've come, you're, you're, you and your time are having Leonardo paint these six extra Mona Lisas that the Count will discover in 1979 and then sell off to uh, other bidders. The Count keeps trying to ask the doctor about the, how the doctor travels through time, how he got to be there and uh, about his box, the TARDIS. The doctor doesn't want to answer, of course, so Tancredi is going to begin to torture him, so he says he's off to get his implements of torture and leaves the doctor with his guard. The doctor tries to engage the guard in conversation. He says he's just, he lives to fight. says you you have to 
and, and Dash is always he, he's believing in that nonsense and says oh I just you, you have to not um, when you work for the what is it for which I'm sorry I forgot for which of the historical ruling houses of uh, of Italy, he he mentions it wasn't the Medici. Borgias. The Borgias. When you work with the Borgias, you you work to fight. Yeah, the the guard is not having any of it, and the doctor pulls out a camera, takes a picture of the guard, which the flash kind of partially blinds him, and then he shows him a Polaroid of himself and tries to get him to lean in to look at it, and then he tricks him and knocks him out of the way. The doctor then takes a pen and he finds some panels of Leonardo's and he writes fake on them and then leaves them and goes over and writes a quick note to Leonardo backwards and upside down um, and uh, about, sorry about the mess on the panels, just paint over them, you know, of the doctor. But before he's able to leave, Tancredi has reappeared behind him. So the account awakens and uh, Kerensky is there and helps him um, get up and he seems to be um, unclear about where he is and when he is and says, well, you're in Paris. He's, oh, right, right, I'm in Paris. And did he change? Did his face change while Kerensky was looking there? I missed it. Kerensky asked something about his face. I think his mask was a His mask, okay, so you could see. Uh, so the account says something about you taking issue with my face and he doesn't really elaborate but then Kerensky asks well what you, who is the who are the Jagorov um, and the count still irritated with Kerensky says you work for the Jagorov and get back to work while you're at it and Kerensky wants to know what are you doing with my work I thought we were working for the you know, to feed the, the human race and says, no, you're not working for the human race um, and willing or not you need to get back to work and then he hears like voices hears his, his Jagoroff name Skaroff and like the voice is calling to him and he, he seems unfocused and he says he needs time to think and he dismisses Kerensky to leave him Ramana and Duggan go to the cafe and break in and then get something to drink and sit down and talking about the seven Mona Lisas. Um, the, um, Karen, the, the Count tells Kerensky that he, he pulls out his uh, plans of the real work he wants him to do and um, Kerensky is incensed because he says, he says, do you mean to increase the effect that I've been trying to eliminate? Which he is just flabbergasted that the Count wants to do this. It's, it's terrible. It's, and it's, it will take millions of dollars and so much equipment and you don't have the resources or the funds for that. And Herman brings in 
the Mona Lisa from the Louvre and says how they have the seven buyers lined up and they'll make over a hundred million dollars. So Tancredi is setting up, uh, having the guards set up his thumb screws to torture the doctor, wants to know how the doctor travels. Um, the doctor gives in and says, well, he's on the Time Lord. He says, well, and what about you, the girl? Well, it's the truth. So the doctor, the doctor doesn't answer. And the doctor tries to ask how the Jagoroth communicate instead. The Count is meanwhile brooding and the Countess is trying to ask him, well, you know, what's wrong? I mean, she's happy that, they, that they've stolen the Mona Lisa and he's waxes poetic that, you know, that's not such a great accomplishment. I'm, you know, working on the grander scale and saving his people and then he again hears some of the voices and he tells, he says, leave us, I mean, leave me, and tells her to leave. He seems to be getting messages from the, his other selves. Tancredi is similarly affected and very distracted and seems very, um, almost weakened by this mental link he seems to have. The doctor, meanwhile, is um, uh, quietly using the thumb screws while the guard is tending to Tancredi and then he goes to get up and the guard goes tries to stop him, swings his sword and he's put the thumb screws at the on the sword to weigh it down. Doctor escapes into the TARDIS. The Jagoroth seemed to their cells seem to be convening and um, Tancredi says, the centuries that separate us shall be undone, and chants this, and the centuries shall be undone. And then the Count picks up the thought and says, and the doctor and the girl are the secret. So the doctor reappears in Paris, and it turns out he's, they've, had the TARDIS in a, a small gallery, it looks like. So he heads out of the gallery onto the streets. Ramona and Dugan are still in the cafe, and uh, he's fallen asleep, though she wakes him. And um, she, they talk about the how the theft of the Mona Lisa and, and how things have, have happened. Dugan is, says that you know, he used to do divorce cases or some other detective work and he was put on to find come to Paris see if there's anything happening strangely in the art world and here the Mona Lisa gets stolen right under his watch under his nose and she she reasons that the count must be able to travel in time go back to Leonardo and get him to paint six other Mona Lisas so then he could then sell them um, but she says that machine of that Kerensky's is not at time is not able to uh, withstand or just to support time travel the right way. And um, she talks about not having a type of stabilizer and what the problem with this machine may be. 
she gets paper from Duggan and writes the doctor a note and leaves it at the cafe, and they decide to go back to the shower, to the chateau, or the Count Chateau. So the doctor heads to the Louvre and sees some uh, police outside and asks them what's gone on, and they tell him that the Mona Lisa's been stolen. He goes inside and uh, asks the, the woman docent that he had, had caused the scene with the other day, um, if when the painting was being stolen, was there were there two people there to try to stop it? And describes Romana and and Duggan, and she had, doesn't know anything about. It. She says you should talk to the police. No, I I don't have time for that. I have to think of the human race. And then he uh, he goes off and heads to the cafe looking for them, and says, oh, they wouldn't be silly enough to go back to the chateau. And he gets the note that says that they went back to the chateau. At the chateau, Romana and Duggan have been captured immediately by Herman and brought to the Count. The Count um, says that he knows that she is an expert in time travel and that the doctor told him. And he says that uh, she will help him. And she says, well, I don't know where you got that idea. I don't. Why would I help you? And he says, well, I'll destroy Paris if you don't. So he convinces her to at least see the machinery to see if he's serious about whether he could destroy Paris or not. So she, she does believe him, says that he could put it in a, a time vortex or something and therefore cause the destruction he's talking about. So she's um, going to help him with his time travel problem. Um, Kerensky is still up, upset about the the use of his machinery and and such, and the count says, um, tells him to go go stand over there. And um, Kerensky's inside the laser field, and he's oh no no not that button. And the count presses the switch or the button and uh, advances Kerensky to a state of death, turning into a skeleton. And we end. Seems like it went on a really long time, this episode. What do you mean? Um, I felt it, 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 I don't know, a little rambling, I guess. But no, it wasn't bad, it was just, and we we get to some sparring kind of between the Doctor and Tancredi and, you know, well, how do you, how are you here in time? How are you here? How do you move through time? How do you communicate to, you know? Kind of a give and take, not much giving on the doctor's part. Mm. Um, so we learn a little more about the the Jaggeroff. I think it's pretty telling how. Uh, what's really what was really nice about that, and they do it a little bit later on, is when the count is uh, unconscious, and he starts the question, and Tancredi finishes it to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Which you know illustrates that they are connected through time, and then the Jaguar, the Tancredi expounds on that a bit more and tells who his people are and what, and the Doctor remembers some, and so we get their more of their backstory. Mm-hmm. Now. 
Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty good to find out. And then they continue that when they have their communing or whatever it is through the centuries. Um, when the uh, Tancredi is uh, saying the centuries that separate us shall be undone and then the Count picks that up and says how the Doctor and the girl are the secret. And uh, I mentioned but the Doctor hears the the first part of that before he leaves in the TARDIS is, oh, I don't like the sound of that. So. Interesting story. And I love the part where he writes fake on the mm. panels and then writes his note backwards. Yeah. Or upside down. Yeah. yeah, the ending of that scene was well done, but I agree that the interplay between the Doctor and Tancredi kind of went on a little too long. Yeah, just a little. We got the point early on that they were connected. Yeah, and we got the point earlier on, too, that the that, that Tancredi wants to know how the Doctor moves through time because he, he's, you know, scoping out ways to help himself and help mm -hmm. his people which is exactly why the doctor doesn't want to share anything um, but yeah the whole thing with the thumb screws we didn't need the no the thumb screws it was just a way to get Tancredi out of the room I think uh, um, yeah and then they're coming back to it and that seemed a little bit unnecessary. Yeah. So. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that wasn't a Polaroid camera, right? That he uses, was it? No, it was. Okay. I don't remember them having the flash cubes. Oh, yeah. They did? Oh, yeah. Okay. They must have had a more advanced model. The one that, that was built the, in. The built-in flash. No, that was later. And had the paper come out the front, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This I one would have come out the front as well. Okay. It looked like a little, like, 125 um, with the flash cube that you stick on, you know, like a little. Um, Similar. So, yeah. That's, that's what I used to have, I think. With the big old reel of film that was like a reel on one side and then across and then another spool that fit in the back, that you open no digital cameras when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure. I had not seen a Polaroid look like that. So, I th And I think that, well, at one point when Ramana and Duggan are talking in the Louvre when they find that this painting's been stolen already, she says something about her age and she says she's 125. Who, Romano? Yeah. He says, why, how old are you? And she goes, 125. Oh, I didn't catch that. But I think that when we first meet her, she says something like, I'm nearly 140. I guess the 125 is not nearly 140. Maybe it is in time or years. That seems, you know, 15 is like 5 to them. I don't know. I think so. I think I would know for sure because I've seen Rebel Separation too many times. Yeah. So. Um, 
if she doesn't say it before, then at least you know we we learn that she's nine twenty five and roughly seven sixty something. As far as we know, yeah. To this point, what did you think of it? Of what? Of the, the story, our story so far. Oh, it's fine. Like I said, the first third or so was just a little too long. Should yeah. have been trimmed a bit. And then we saw some more walking through Paris scenes, mm-hmm. which I guess had a little bit of a point. Yeah. For the doctor. So see that the doctor was trying to find them, and he goes to the Louvre. You kind of had to, well, really, you really didn't need to see him, though. You know, they could have just had a shot of one small scene of the doctor on the street and then him inside the loop would have been fine. Mm -hmm. And then um, another short scene walking and then he's at the cafe. Um, For Romana and Duggan, from their, you know, scenes walking around, they really only had to leave the Louvre through the window and then be going into the cafe, which maybe they did for them. Maybe it was when they went off to go to the chateau that we didn't need to see them walk across town. <laughs> it seemed like a full enough episode that we didn't even really, we didn't really need any filler. So, that's why I guess it struck me as kind of odd yeah. to have those scenes when it's like, it was already quite full in information, even though most of it was through conversation. Um, it was still fine action-wise, to not have to have those, those bits in there. But still, a really good uh, story. One of the really good ones, like, um, for him, like, uh, Pyramids of Mars and mm-hmm. Town, the Wayne yeah. Chandler. Which were... Also, David Fisher. God, I can't remember now. I can't remember. Maybe one of them was. I think David Fisher's done a really good job with the ones we've seen of his, and this is one of them. With well, Douglas Adams helped on what script editing on this one. I think as well. He also. Um, he wrote quite a bit of it. Oh. Pyramids of Mars is not David Fisher. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I can't remember those. And neither is Talon's. Okay, never mind. Um. They are, however, both Robert Holmes. As it happened. Really? Well, unusual work for Robert Holmes, then. Yeah. I know. It's such a mis- mixed bag. Not that has anything to do with this episode, but... However, I wouldn't have... I don't think I would have guessed that Douglas Adams wrote as much as you say that he did. Um, comparing this, say, to Pirate Planet, which he did, mm-hmm. right? Yep. All of? Yep. That one seems more like the... Douglas Adams, I know from his own work. Right. And this one doesn't. 
maybe there was just enough of it to add some richness to it, but not take it that hitchhiker's direction. I think, and I honestly, I think that's probably what it was. I think David Fisher probably, if he didn't write the majority of it, he at least had the main ideas. Mm. And then um, Douglas Adams probably fleshed it out. Okay. So there was no, none of the wildness, wild ideas, over-the-top sort of characters that you have in most Douglas Adams stories. Yeah. Because those were already fully formed from David Fisher's original draft or his original idea. Mm. That's my guess. Those are the only notes I have. Duggan didn't really hit anybody this episode. No, he does break a lot of glass, though. And Romana mentions that fact that, you know... He should be a glazier, she said yeah. at one point, because they broke the window to get out of the loo. They broke a window. Did they break a window to get into the, yeah, to get into the cafe. She tried to pick the door, open the doors, and but he breaks a window. Um, to pour some wine for them, he, he breaks the neck of the bottle on the counter instead of trying to open it. He's broken a lot of things, I guess, in the absence of people to punch, because he's been with Romana the whole time. <coughs> but uh, instead, he's breaking things. <laughs> it's funny how both she and the doctor noticed and picked up on that and, and mentioned their dislike, in a way. Yeah, doctor said, every time I have a conversation, you hit them. Um, her comment about becoming a glazier. <laughs> yes. I don't think so. Is that ending then? Yep. What did you think of the call it a montage of uh, the death of Kerensky? The accelerated aging to death. Yes. Um. wasn't bad. I, I think they, they, the makeup they did on him to get him to the middle section um, before he was really, really old looking was, was pretty good. I think he was in a slightly different position though, wasn't he? As they did the each, you know. It wasn't bad. Take. Yeah, it wasn't far off, like inches, maybe, you know, four inches or anything where he was out of position. Just slight enough that she could just notice a little. But some of that could have been put down to the wizening of his body being in slightly different position as it collapsed in on itself as he got more frail. So it was, it was pretty good. You? I, I thought it was okay mostly. Um, there was one transition that I thought was a little bit sketchy. Was it the one where he kind of looked like the, the old man from Monty Python? <laughs> um, like the no, the one clothing. right before that. Oh, okay. Uh, 
the it's man. That's who you're thinking. Yeah, you're it's talking about. Um, Without the beard. But no, for, on one of them, between when it when it skips to the next version, his glasses are hanging down off his nose. Oh. And yeah. so they appear to jump. Oh. And then they slide down his face later. I don't know why they couldn't have just had him slide that first time, too, to cover up the join. Right. <laughs> there was one thing when he goes into the the ray field once uh, the count turns it on. He does this weird... Oh, like, yeah, that was terrible. Walk like an Egyptian type thing with his arms to like get down in the position and shrink it. It's like, okay, weird. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, it was just unnecessary. Unless it was supposed to simulate his, I don't know, his body contorting, contracting or something. I like think that's that. what it was supposed to be. But it was just kind of strange. Yeah. It would have just been better had he just yelled out in pain and you know, crumpled off to the side where he, he ended up being posed for all the transformation. Mm-hmm. Didn't need to have that weird <laughs> movement of his arms and this strange configuration. <laughs> yeah. But for a, a way to end the episode, it was pretty good. Yeah, you know? no, I, I, I agree. Um, because it shows how much uh, much more powerful that the, the Count will make that type of machine. That's what he wants it to do. Mm-hmm. And on a very grand scale. So. And we know that, you know, he does have some power to threaten Ramana and Duggan with uh, just what he said that uh, he's killed his Kerensky, a scientist now, and uh, he wants Ramana threatening her to to make his machine work the way he wants and um, so she's under duress we don't feel a sense of, that she's going to die from it or anything like that but we do sense that this she's been put under this pressure right so it's a good enough way to end mm-hmm Anything else? Nope. All right. Join us tomorrow when we talk about the final episode of City of Death. So join us then, and thank you for listening.